off top. Did you know that the NBA is kind of a little brother to the NHL? It's true. So the Basketball Association of America is the precursor to the NBA. Once they merged with the National Basketball League, they became the NBA. But the BAA was born out of NHL owners needing something to do with their arenas. So the first NBA game, or at least a game that the NBA credits as their first game, was a BAA game played in Canada, the New York Knicks against the Toronto Huskies. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. What up, Charlie? You're welcome. Trivia. Wow. That, uh... That makes sense why they're those Toronto Huskies throwback jerseys now that I never <laughs> understood. Yeah. That, and so of those original 11 teams, when they merged with the uh, NBL and became the NBA, the Knicks and the Celtics are the only teams who are still the same mascot and in the same city. Hmm. Who knew? I knew. Well, I didn't know a few hours ago, but I knew. <laughs> All right, so old, slow, boring basketball. Not what we're talking about. Well, it's kind of what we're talking about, but minus the boring part, because we do got some old LeBron, but I'm really looking forward to this game. LeBron, I mean, I was really looking forward to the first game, LeBron versus Steph, which is actually AD versus Steph, if we're going to do the most important players. But I'm looking forward to seeing what the adjustments are and more basketball you watch and playoff basketball. We always talk about uh, how playoff basketball is or yeah, playoff basketball is more different from regular season basketball, in my view, than any other sports regular and postseason in part because the the strategy of the game. And I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, the Warriors address the strategy that the Lakers implored or they just weren't guarding certain players like. They just refused to go out on Looney. They refused to go out on uh, GP2, uh, Draymond in times. They refused to go out, and they were just letting even Wiggins. Yeah, even well, yeah, Wiggins went one for five uh, from three. Clay was better from three, but he was awful from two. So it really feels like Steph is is in a place now where he is kind of in a place where LeBron is used to being where the help isn't quite there, but the yeah. expectations are still really high. So you look like you're about to say something. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, it's not like it feels very 2018 LeBron, not in the sense that his roster is bad around him. I still think the Warriors have some useful pieces um, and the spacing works, but uh, his mastery of the offense and his confidence seems to be at an all-time playoff high. Like the, you know, that, that feeling where it just feels they were down three. Steph hit that freakish bomb in game one to tie it up momentarily. And you're like, of course he's going to hit that shot. No matter the moment, no matter the time. It's like, that's that's Steph Curry. He gets a basket whenever he whenever he wants and the Warriors need it. They were down uh, 12 with like five minutes, five Four, and a half. 14. Or, yeah, 14 with like five and a half left. And, and one of my friends who's a big Warriors fan, I guess he was just trying to reverse jinx, but he was like, and so over to him, and I went back to him like, you're stupid. You know it's not over. And then, of course, they go on a run to get the game close again. But uh, they their kind of lineup of death was what they used to go on that run. So one of the questions I have going into this game is, how long can that survive against AD? Yeah. Uh, because that seems to be 
their best weapon, or at least it was their best weapon to play zone behind that speedy lineup. Uh, and the, the Lakers seemed to struggle with it, which may have been in part because of where they were in, at the time in the game. But it also seemed to really give them some trouble. But Draymond can't be expected to play center for extended minutes against AD. I mean, personally, I think a huge part of that was AD and LeBron's fatigue when they went to the zone and when they uh, put Draymond at center. Because, I mean, AD didn't come out in the second half. um, And he was so focused on completely annihilating anything within 15 feet uh, that the Warriors had on offense that I think it did sort of take him out of his his own offense a little bit for spurts. Um, The weird thing is, is like, and we will get into this because this is where, where we are at with LeBron James at 38 years old with this foot injury that means he cannot blow pipe by people to the right and jump off his left foot and create havoc in the lane like he has for the last 19 and a half seasons. Um, but it used to be you couldn't play zone against LeBron teams because if there's a hole in the zone, you know, the greatest decision maker in the history of basketball will find it and bust your zone in four seconds. Um, so that was interesting that that worked a little bit. But he does. I mean, he doesn't have the ball anymore. Yeah. So uh, he can't, they don't, he's not the conduit of the offense in the way that he's always been. Like we always knew that building a LeBron team was get LeBron to ball and surround him with shooters. It's, and then it's the, the decisions seem really good when uh, open shooters are hitting open shots, but LeBron can't penetrate the way that he's accustomed to. We saw him like barrel his way through the lane a couple of times, but, and we even saw him post up a couple of times, but it's not what, you can come to expect or rely on LeBron for. And AD is now the centerpiece of both their offense and their defense because their strategy defensively, like I mentioned, was like not going out on some of the lesser offensive players, which the point there is to keep AD in the paint. And AD dominated the the rebounds and dominated rim protection. So like it worked. But towards the end of the game, the Warriors put the ball in Steph's hands and that seemed to be the kryptonite for this particular strategy. But also we, I think you and I both talked about this before, how Steph kind of seemed tired. So I'm not sure that that's a long-term solution for Steph Curry because he's not as old as LeBron and his game doesn't require the same type of physicality, but it requires a physicality. And he didn't get back on D a couple of times, which is not a Steph Curry type of thing to do. And the idea that they're just going to ride him as the primary ball handler all game seems unlikely too. Yeah. And so, I mean, first of all, we've seen the Warriors do this before when they get in stressful situations, they spam pick and rolls or fake dribble handoffs with Steph as the ball handler, because it eliminates all doubt of who will make the decision for the offense, him or Draymond pretty much mm-hmm. hand it off, have Draymond do it. Steph keeps it. He'll do it. So that to me, is not that shocking. And I feel very confident that the Lakers will have an adjustment to the adjustment on that. The interesting thing to me is Anthony Davis, if he's going to continue to, to drop on all of those non-Steph plays and basically keep Kevon Looney off the floor, I think it actually might force them to play that, that death lineup more often because if Kevon Looney, maybe the most underrated guy in the entire NBA is a lot less valuable. If he is not able to dominate the offensive glass with Anthony Davis there, I say that after another 20 plus rebound game, I understand how ridiculous that is, but it was clear that their offense went into overdrive when he was off the floor simply because of the amount of space it gave Steph to operate. Yeah. And I mean, that's a result of them not respecting Looney away from the basket, but, uh, and it also is a result of like, they were at first attacking that 
that uh, AD wasn't guarding. They were attacking it with like off ball screens and getting mm. wide open shots. And before I looked at the box score, my thought was they got a lot of good shots and they just didn't hit them. And I looked at the box score and like as a team, they shot um, the Warriors shot well from three. They, yeah. uh, individual players didn't shoot like Wiggins. I think was one for five. He was bad from three. And Poole was good from three, despite the final end of game decision. But they're going to have to force AD away from the yeah. basket. And well, the it, only way to do that is with a lineup where you have to respect someone else offensively. But who are you going to put in in that spot that he's going to respect offensively? Because it's not Draymond either. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess you don't you want to put pressure on Draymond in order to make his passing decisions more difficult. But nobody's scared of him shooting. I mean, I they have to they have to attack the rim, even if the shots get erased, even if it's not like the highest efficiency play with Davis. Uh, Dar- Darvin Ham called Davis both a lateral and vertical defender, which is a perfect description of him. He's one of the few guys in the NBA can do that. But OK, we watched that game and the Warriors shot six free throws. And it wasn't because the refereeing was unfair. I did not notice the refs in that game. Um, and that's a that's a in a way, a game plan malpractice. Of course, they're trying to uh, affect the math by taking 50 plus threes. And if you get 18 threes from Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry, that's not a bad shooting night, theoretically, from the best shooters on your team. Volume-wise and efficiency-wise, it might be spread out better. Like, I mean, I think Clay was 6 of 16 for three um, and struggled at certain points. Um, Steph struggled at certain points before, you know, becoming, you know, a human flamethrower in the fourth quarter. Um but you have guys, Wiggins, Curry, um, even Draymond, who can actually pressure the rim and make things more difficult. And that, to me, that's like adjustment number one is you have to you have to at least test it. You have to. I mean, I guess so. But it doesn't feel like I, I get you. I agree. They didn't attack the rim that often, but uh, they attacked it enough for for uh, AD to get what do you four blocks, three blocks? Yeah, four blocks. Four, four blocks. blocks. And it felt like he affected 10 other shots. So uh, it kind of feels like that you're doing what the Lakers want you to do. You're playing into their hands. I agree with you. You got to attack the basket in part to get AD in foul trouble and attacks him. And because you can pass out of it, you can break defenses down. But the point of attacking the basket and breaking defenses down is to kick to open shooters. They got open shooters because yeah. AD ain't coming out. So uh, I agree generally that uh, old basketball adage that is never wrong no matter what you tell me is attack the basket but i'm not sure it's like run the ball in football yeah it's never bad to run the ball it's never bad to attack the basket but you're also going at the strength of that um lakers defense well the and there there are parts of it that that uh i think there are nuanced too like the the crux of the warriors offensive dynasty beyond steph and clay being the greatest shooters of all time was to guard those guys, you had to blitz so hard on the pick and roll. They would drop the ball up to Draymond. He'd be a downhill guy, and he could fly, find shooters in the corner. Um, that's still going to going to work. Um, they have to hit those shots, and like this is the the Jeff Van Gundy thing. You got to play play better. That's the biggest <laughs> yeah, adjustment in certain things. Some of those role guys have to play better. One of the things I think is fascinating is we watched, I don't know, eight years of LeBron and Steph Curry in these in these series and. You'd watch these defenses, and it was two guys who put defenses scrambling into rotations in a different in different ways. And we saw the Lakers not rotate off of the Warriors in the way that they had in the past. And we also saw LeBron 
not be able to create rotation from the Warriors defense, which is really interesting. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. He posted up 11 times in the Grizzlies series, 11 total times in six games. He is running pick and roll much less than he ever has in the past. His true shooting percentage is significantly lower than it has been at certain times. And you hear Draymond talking about it. He said he, he was talking on his podcast after the game. He's like, yeah, it's sort of weird seeing LeBron without the ball. And I think that a massive Warriors adjustment is going to be ignoring LeBron James, which is which is like actually crazy. Not, not, not like fully ignoring him. I'm not going to give him a straight line drives to the basket. Yeah, but they but stopped they closing out to, on him. Yeah, they're not going to play him with the reverence. Yeah, they stopped closing out on him when he was getting open shots. They were begging him to shoot, and he was uh, capitulating. Uh, the other conversation that I heard being had after that game, and I guess we'll see, I'm really looking forward to, to the upcoming game and the conversation after that is going to be interesting, but I'm scared to put this on the table and we're going to get to some football stuff in a, in a minute, because I don't want to hear what your response is going to be, because if it's wrong, it's going to stress me out. So we're not going to argue no matter what you say. But the conversation is about legacy stuff now. And it feels to me, not it feels to me, I heard people who know more about basketball than me saying absurd things. And I even got some social media pushback last week because I was unwilling to even entertain this conversation that Steph Curry is in position to jump over LeBron and the his in the historical uh, rankings of greatest player of all time. I think Stephen A. used the term Mount Rushmore. Is he's going to knock LeBron off the Mount Rushmore? Is that? I think I saw that. I should look that up and to be sure. I guess, it was, I guess Stephen A. is a two-person Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. But I just don't think. And yeah, people were mad at me last week because I. I didn't think it was a conversation. Steph's great, but LeBron's something means something different to this game and has done uh has contributed more and been more dominant for a longer period of time it just feels like this is lebron's era and steph curry can get a piece of it but it seems like it's going to be hard for him to take it i mean look steph is closer to lebron than he is to someone like durant or Kawhi leonard i think that has become clear over the last few years um I think he's a top 10 player in the history of basketball. Like I I think he's uh, a certain, certain ways, a modern and greater version of Tim Duncan, just like the consummate teammate. You just have and have a chance to win titles with because they're so great and they're such great team players. Um, Honestly, I just feel like we closed that chapter of who is better uh, from 2016 to 2018. We had series where they were all on the floor. And despite the result, I never once, thought that LeBron wasn't the best player. There was a period in the 15-16 season when Curry was playing offensive basketball that I hadn't seen before when it was like avant-garde offense. And I was like, what is this? Is this guy going to be the greatest player of all time? LeBron closed that door. Like, I don't care if you want to put LeBron at 1, 1A, 1B, or 2. He's not in any of those, any spot other than that. Could we reassess this if Stephen Curry wins three more titles, that's seven titles, and LeBron finishes with four? Yeah, I mean, the hay's not in the barn with that. But if you're going to ask me if Curry beats LeBron in a second round series when LeBron is 38 with a destroyed foot, 
no, that's crackhead shit. Get out of here with that. Like, like we have eyeballs. We saw yeah. it. Yeah. To be fair to Stephen A., here's the exact quote. If Steph Curry beats LeBron in this series and, dare I say, wins his fifth NBA championship, we might have to remove LeBron James off of Mount Rushmore and put Steph Curry on it. That's right. I said it. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I had to add the final punctuation. That's right. I said it. Um, yeah. I, <clears throat> I don't know. It's it's to me that your argument is a good one. Mine feels less concrete. Like you have games to point to and a few years of series and competitions to point to, which I guess I can point to those also. But some things you just know. Yeah. <laughs> and I find it hard to believe that anybody who was here and like and reading Stephen A's quote, there's some some caveats around that that soften it a little bit but still it's a hard statement to for me to listen to because i've been here for the whole time from the time lebron came into the league at 18 years old and was immediately one of the best players in the league and dragged that Cavs team to the nba finals they lost and then went to the finals for like 10 years in a row <laughs> like it's he owned the league and at certain stretches was the best defensive player perimeter defensive player in the league while also being the most impressive offensive player, some combination hybrid of uh, Magic Johnson, Vince Carter, and Michael Jordan all at the same time. It's just like, I, I don't understand how. And, and Steph's changed the game. His shooting's been great. And But even we all know this. Like last year, it felt like he still had an empty spot that he had to prove to us. And now lots of people are pretending like it didn't exist. Thanks, and, yeah, it, and maybe it didn't exist, but it certainly was a thing. And he just got there. And so for him to pass LeBron, he's going to have to do something more. And his uh, his team's dominance was always predicated on his greatness, but it never felt like it was as uh, lopsided uh, as as LeBron's teams were. Uh, dependent on him, which I guess doesn't change the fact that that he could still be great. But I'm trying to find ways that sound smarter than I was here. I saw it. So stop it. Don't get crazy. Well, you got the eye test. You also have the fact that LeBron's accolades are going to be on a completely different level. First team all NBAs, all star games, finals MVPs. We're also like two months removed from him setting the all-time scoring record, a record that like 10 years ago we thought was unfathomable for anyone to reach. And it's never going to be broken again because of the load management era. Like uh, the accolades are there. If you are on the Steph Curry side, you're on style of play. Um, The team impact. There's there's one thing like his numbers, his on-off numbers, the point differential per 100 possessions. We're talking about Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Seth Curry in a lot of this, in a lot of those. Like he really is that level of an impact on his team. And the, you know, the nerd term gravity. It's like it's it's more than that. It's that he's also just really fucking good at getting his teammates open shots and running an offense. And your um your Tim Duncan comparison was a really good one too, because uh, I heard Bomani say the other day, which I thought was a good point, is kind of like Steph Curry is is making Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah. Clay Thompson and Draymond Green are going to the Hall of Fame because they're good Hitty players. Iguodala. Yeah, Iguodala. Yeah, they're good players, but they're going to the Hall of Fame because they s- stood real close to Steph Curry. 
if they were in another situation, it's really unlikely that happens. LeBron doesn't have that on his resume. There's nobody that's going to the Hall of Fame because they were close to LeBron. And he didn't play with players. Well, I guess I can't say that, but um, D Wade's going no matter what. If Chris Bosh goes, it's it's uh, in part and in, in bigger part probably because his years of dominance in Toronto than it is his years with the Heat. He's in already. Kyrie's, yeah. Oh, Chris Bosh. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about him and Wade are both in. Yeah. If um Kyrie's uh, things gonna have to change for him to get in, but again, it's not about LeBron. <laughs> yeah, he gonna have to do he gonna have to do a lot between now and the time he retires to get in. But either way, it won't be about his time with LeBron. It'll just be because we remember that one shot. That one shot is gonna be the thing that gets him in because people don't like him. But yeah, anyway, the bottom line is I can't wait to watch this game. Let's not overreact. Let's enjoy the fun. I do hope that we get a better version of LeBron at some point. I really wanted him to hit that uh, that dagger three. And of course, he has the confidence to shoot it. But and he did hit one big one. He hit one big one to put him up five uh, down. the. He track. only hit one three. So yeah, <laughs> he didn't hit one big one. He hit one. Yeah, well, it was an important time. <laughs> Uh, I do want, one thing I want to ask you about, and I was thinking about this. This is going to piss off everyone in Miami. You're in Miami right now. Are we allowed to tell people where you are? I am in Miami right now. I'm, I'm going to whisper this, but Anthony Davis is the best dude LeBron's ever played with. Not in an individual season. Like I know Wade was unbelievable in 2009 and 2010. Mm-hmm. He got a year of Dwayne Wade as a co-star. And that year was such a push and pull. We're not sure how to play. And then Wade descended into being a high-level role player. Kyrie played perfectly with LeBron, but was a one like one-way player. I've never seen LeBron be on a floor with someone who's playing as well as as peak Anthony Davis. Nobody's ever been. He's never been on the floor with someone that's better than him. Yeah, but also this guy looks like evolutionary Bill Russell right now. Yeah, like, and like I guess genuinely saying that somebody's better than LeBron at this state isn't the compliment that I thought it was when I was cooking up that sentence in my head. But. uh I'm thinking about someone else who has the impact that AD has. The problem is AD is never consistently healthy, but yeah, there's nobody that's had that impact uh, on, on a team that, that AD can have. I think you could even argue that Chris Bosh going to the five and, and learning to shoot threes like impo- impacted LeBron's career in a way that was more valuable than just about anybody, but nobody is like AD. Well, you, you really hated that one. No, I thought you were about to say that Chris Bosch is a more valuable teammate than Wade. Now I was going to nod like the Jack no. Nicholson get for a little bit. No, 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 no. He I'm was not... the last two years of Miami, but I digress. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was, he was better. I mean, D Wade's knees left and they didn't, and they never came back. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just think that when you think about the, those, who's helping LeBron the most in the course of his career, no one's helped him as much as this healthy AD is in, in bubble AD. Like that, that title is really changed the way people talk about LeBron and AD is, is uh, a huge portion of that. I also, I don't think this is a, a jarring overreaction, but I was thinking about this all day. Like I, I look at the postseason right now and it's the most wide open it's ever been. And you usually go best player in the series to win the series. One, I don't know if Anthony Davis or Steph Curry is the best player in this series. And we're talking about Steph Curry passing LeBron on the Mount Rushmore of NBA people. And that's the hot take after the Warriors lost game one. Uh, Davis easily could outplay Curry in this series. He's done it one game already. Um, Looking at the Western Conference, 
you know, there are three dominant players in it right now. It's Jokic, Steph, and, and AD. And this is a two-time MVP. And if you asked me for the rest of the postseason, who do I think will have a better run, Jokic or Anthony Davis? I would say that's a complete toss-up. I would say it's a complete toss-up. Davis has played that well, given, I mean, he had the two bad games in Memphis. The ceiling of The ceiling of the game we saw last night is what we always thought Anthony Davis could be that we've always been disappointed but in. Like he's always been that. He's just never been it consistently. No, 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 no. Not like this. Not like the fact that he's erasing an offense that just um, you know, can eviscerate people. My point is the reason why we thought that could be him is because we saw him doing yeah, it. Spurs, we've never yeah. seen him do it day in and day out and throughout the course of an entire playoff run. Uh, and that's the question with AD. That's why like, I turned my face up when you said that about Jokic because, and I guess Jokic doesn't have the defensive impact that AD has. And right now the Nuggets are better, <laughs> are damn near better than they are with Jokic on the floor than they are without him on the floor. And that probably says more about the Suns than it does about the Nuggets. But <laughs> Bench first bench there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the point I'm making is, we know we can get this from AD sometimes. When have we ever got this from AD all the time? Even last series. I mean, I guess it's unfair to expect him to do it in every single game of a series, but to have a historic performance, because what he had was 20 rebounds, 30 points, four blocks, and a bunch of affected shots. That was like a historic performance. It was a dom- dominating a game. And I guess it's hard to ask him to do that every game, but we're going to need it more than he's ever done it before. He hadn't played 44 minutes of basketball game since 2018. And of course he was tired at the end of it, but this is the best he's looked physically uh, definitely since the bubble, but really since those like mid new Orleans years when he actually, you know, spoiler alert here, he was the one guy who gave those early Warriors yeah. teams troubles other than LeBron. And yeah. Steph had a hit that I, magic I, shot from the corner. He's got that look in the eye, in his eye, a look that I did not know that Anthony Davis could possibly possess. I thought he, he looked like Jimmy G buckets, how, how like competitive he was in that game. We didn't know that he had like, even if it's just a a little dog, even if he just is a little dog in here, there was more dog in Anthony Davis in that game than I think I realized he had in him. Now you've gone too far. You gave him the highest dog praise is calling him Jimmy Butler. He's not there. But no, I have no. to be honest, before the game, we talked about uh, in one of my group texts, we were talking about um, what AD is going to do with Looney. And I was mm-hmm. like, AD has all the physical tools to outplay Looney on the on the boards. Because that was the real question. It was like, uh, is Looney going to create a problem for AD? I know none of us thought that Looney was going to be able to shut him down defensively, but some people in the group chat are like, Looney's too big and too physical. AD don't play like that. And we got not, I was not one of those people, but we got the version of AD that we don't see often. It's like the playoff switch, the angry guy. And he wasn't like, he didn't seem angry, but he was playing angry, which is something uh, I think perk when we were doing debatable perk was kind of making the opposite point about Deandre Ayton. And it's not something that you think about much when you're doing basketball analysis. Like you don't think about, at least I don't football analysis. We talk about just like the dog and how mean someone is and how nasty they are. And it has like some value to us. Uh, and how good that team is going to be. 
We don't talk about it with basketball players, but it matters in the paint. And AD had decided that he was not going to be out physicaled by by Looney. And it really powered that team on both ends of the floor. I mean, the dude played seven playoff games. He has he has 30 blocks. <laughs> That's a record, right? It's gotta be. I mean, I'm sure I don't know if they recorded blocks when Russell and Chamberlain were playing. But I'm sure they had double digit blocks games back then when they were playing against Plumbers. Um, uh, speaking of Aiton, I was thinking I was thinking about him. I think the alluring thing, I think DeAndre Aiton is to basketball players what like tall, broad shouldered, handsome white quarterbacks are to NFL scouts where they're like, <laughs> that guy has to go number one. He's got everything that we're looking for. You uh, look at strong Aiton, arm. like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Laser rocket arm. Could hit the goalpost from his knees from 50 yards away. And then you got into the game and it's like, what? what is this? I remember three years ago, I was so high on DeAndre Ayton because at that time, I thought the most important thing that you could have, or not the most important thing, but one of the most difficult things to find in basketball and was the difference maker was a big who can protect the rim and also is comfortable on the perimeter and is not a negative on offense. He is all yeah. that. He is all of that. Yeah. But still somehow at the end of every playoff game, people are mad about him not playing well enough. And it's like, I don't know. I, I guess three years ago, maybe I anticipated some dog development because that's what <laughs> Perk told me. And that's what everyone is saying. It's just like, he's not physical enough. He's not aggressive enough. He's not nasty enough. And it's like, <sighs> but the hardest thing to find is someone who can do all those things. Like you can put him in a, in a pick and roll and he is comfortable or you can let him drop and hang in a lane and he's making everybody shot hard. And then on the other end, he can hit that mid range jumper that DeMontis Sabonis refuses to shoot. And it's like, what else do you want from a player? Not to get dominated on the boards by, by uh, Kavon Looney, which I guess isn't happening to him, but all I want from him is to, is it, it's easy. You are, gigantic and athletic and you're playing with two through three when you're in Chris Paul, but now two, two of the greatest pick and roll players in the modern NBA, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant roll hard to the rim Catch and be a vertical spacer, be a vertical space. But he's got, you know, hands like feet thing, stone hands. Um, but also, I mean like this guy, like he's been dogless since college. He got dominated by Buffalo in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, and this is a dude who was physically talented enough that he largely became a prodigy because he unc does a preseason trip to the bahamas and he kicked the shit out of a out of a really strong north carolina basketball team when he was like a sophomore in high school like that was his dog moment and he's been he's been dogless ever since See, and it's a bummer because he's just like he's just a nice player and so like a lot of the scorn probably isn't fair yeah. either but it's also like awaiting for this upside the five years in. yeah it's the potential that that pisses everybody off yeah and that that, that happens you mentioned high school but that happens a lot, I feel like, in high school sports where there's somebody who just big for no reason and everyone's mad at them because, honestly, we're all jealous because you got a body of a professional athlete, but for whatever reason, don't know how to use it. Like, that feels like something that I remember looking at my high school basketball team. Like, there's a 6'9 guy who just don't want to dominate. And the same thing with football, like the biggest guy on the team is often the softest. It just happens to be that way. It's unfair to put that on him because he don't got it in him. I think. Um, I mean, can I give you the stat line, by the way? He no. played against North Carolina no. in no. 2014. He was 14 years old. 14? 15 years, 14 or 15 years old. And he was playing against 
not the best UNC team. It's a college had, basketball team. Yeah. And a college basketball team that ended up having a core that went to the final four of the national championship game. Um, he had put up 17 and 18 against them when he was, That's you incredible. know, a, a, a young lad. That is incredible. I, um, this is a, a podcast for another time. Maybe I should call call um, somebody who's in performance development to have them on here uh, because I've always believed that the next frontier after analytics is uh, dog analysis. Like it's going at some point, they're going to try to figure out how to properly evaluate not just anecdotally, but properly evaluate the personalities of players and which players fit well together, which players, because right now you do it just like with feel and which players, what personality type you need for which position. And like, there is going to come a time where, uh, I mean, I guess we can already edit genes, but they're going to find a way to figure out who is built for what, if it's just psychological tests or what, because those tests right now, they don't, I don't think they give them anything, but that is the next frontier. Once we fully get tired of uh, analytics, the next spot is figuring out the dog science. I mean, Pat Riley's working on that in the lab right now. <laughs> yeah, just just get angry dudes. Angry dudes, put them on your roster and go out and see what happens. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot DF. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book direct at lq.com
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right. The um the football stuff that I wanted to get into it, on the heels of the draft. Like you've probably, I did a draft kind of recap show with Mina and you've probably already done all your draft recap stuff. So we want to do some draft projection. One simple question. Who is going to be the rookie of the year? I think there are only three choices. Okay. All right, so Bijan mm-hmm. and Bryce. Yep. And who's the third choice? CJ Stroud? Anthony Richardson, rushing for more than a thousand yards. Yeah, that's that's obvious. As soon as I CJ Stroud, it Anthony Richardson jumped into my head. So how would you handicap this? Because I feel like if we knew Anthony Richardson was a day one starter, it would change things the way way people talk about it. Because I think the the Steichen um Richardson's athleticism combination with Shane Steichen who came from the Eagles who is um their coach there now um with an offensive line that has talent even though they weren't great last year and Jonathan Taylor in the backfield uh is a good spot to be in a Mm -hmm. division that's not all that scary but he hasn't done nearly enough, I think, to be up there, you know, for people to believe in him. I, I, I worked you and I have worked ourselves up into really believing in him. But for a handicapper right now, he hasn't done enough. And there's the speculation that he won't start week one. But I guess you don't have to start week one. But you, you're going you're gonna to need at least 10, yeah. eight to 10 games that are impressive, which is going to be hard to do there. So I would say he's third on the list after uh, who do you think is uh, first and second? It's got to be Bijan. Bijan's got to be number one. I mean, he's he's playing it. One, he's the best running back prospect, either since Saquon Barkley or long before, depending on the the scout you read. Two, he's playing the Arthur Smith system. Yeah. Derrick Henry put up some pretty good numbers in Arthur Smith system. Obviously, it's a deed. They're very different backs, but we know the dude is going to touch the football a lot. Yeah, I mean, forget Derrick Henry. Uh, their running back last year, Algier. Oh yeah. Went for a thousand yards. He was a rookie out of BYU who nobody was checking for. And uh, when I was prepping for this podcast with Mina, I was shocked at how good I thought the Falcons' roster was. It's like he's surprisingly in a good situation. Um, we don't know how good Desmond Ritter can be, but right now or that Taylor is Heineke. The, yeah, well, okay, or Taylor Heineke. He's got yeah. dog in him. Very doggy. But that is the weak spot of their roster. Like their offensive line is good. They improved. It was it was their running attack was good last year and they still improved on that off, offensive line. They got Drake London, who's a great young receiver and Kyle Pitts, that uh, aggressive tight end or that athletic tight end who they can't seem to figure out how to get him the ball. Unclear and, if he's got dog enough. Yeah, but he's got explosive athleticism. He's uh, what was he like? What was he drafted? He was top 10. Was he top five? Like, he was the like the highest pick in the draft. Yeah, he was like the highest drafted tight end ever or something. So. He's not living up to that. They went and got Jeff Okuda to play corner, who he hasn't panned out. But, man, did I love He was one of the best prospects I had seen in college. So maybe it'll turn around. A.J. Terrell on the other side. They brought in Jesse Bates from Cincinnati 
on that defense. They added Calais Campbell. So they, they have a good, a good team again in a division that's not all that impressive. So I think Bijan and Bijan, the the things that you're going to ask him to do are going to be uh, a little bit easier to pick up on the fly than what you would want from Bryce Young. But I would not put Bryce Young out of the race because he's landing in a good situation. The first overall pick is so rarely traded to a team. Uh, I mean, it's rarely traded, but then it's rarely traded to a team that is actually kind of talented. And he's going to Carolina with a coaching staff that, I mean, Frank Reich uh, knows a little bit about offense, I would think. They're, uh, they had a good running attack last year and a pretty good offensive line. J.C. Horn on a defense and some good defensive players. And again, they're in the same division of Falcons that they could they could potentially win. Like there's nobody in that uh, that division that's that we're expecting to run away with it. So I like Bryce Young. He seems NFL ready. And from everything you hear, the only real drawback on him is his size. So I, I, I don't know. The quarterback ha- always has a leg up. The number one overall pick always has a leg up. So uh, I feel like it's a toss up between those two. We're going to have to pick. I'm going to make you pick and I'm going to pick. I agree. Um, and by the way, I don't want to undersell this, but they all, he also has Jim Caldwell, who's been like an all time yeah, quarterback whisperer that's... as well. Like if him and Reich, like he's in he's in great hands for the actual like quarterback development. I know we think of him closer to yeah. a finished product. No rookie quarterbacks really a finished product. Yeah, I love that they have Josh McCown and Jim Caldwell on the same staff because mm-hmm. Jim Caldwell is like the picture of a black coach not getting treated fairly. And Josh McCown, I guess I've, my buddy Jeff Saturday has replaced Josh McCown as the picture of a white coach climbing the ranks fast, but he never did get that head coaching job, but yeah, he was, uh, he, he crawled. So Jeff Saturday could, could walk and, and then, and then not walk. Sneaky great <laughs> As, decision by McCown, by the way, not taking that Texas job. Yeah. Not sneaky. Great. Great. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Cause there's no way that he would have succeeded. And then everyone would have said, uh, not fair. And it would have kind of marred the rest of his career. Uh, Thomas Brown is the actual defensive coordinator. Who's, I mean, excuse me, the actual offensive coordinator. Now it's his first year, I believe is black coach there in Carolina. So it'll be interesting to see how things pan out for him, but I don't know. I think Bryce young is, has a shot. I, I feel like you're going to go be Sean. So I'm going Bryce, put all your money on Bryce guys. This is good, solid, solid advice. You got better odds than me. Uh, Bijan's plus 300. Bryce is oh, really? plus 460. But those are the two clear favorites. There's a bunch of people below that. Um, right. I, I like that bet. I like I like Bijan. I mean, uh, do it for our for, – I'll, I'll put it on Bijan for our good friend, Bomani Jones, who has said, who constantly tells me, you don't realize how good this guy is. He is very good, but he is playing for Bomani's Falcons, <laughs> his former Falcons, which – but Bomani will tell you that they will falcon it eventually. So, all right, everyone put your, excuse me, everyone put your life savings on Bryce Young. I'm just joking. This is not real financial advice. It's not a true investment strategy, but uh, go ahead, do that. All right, Charlie, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for joining me and taking a break from your uh, trip to Miami and a very sexy hotel room. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, it feels so romantic, but you're at a wedding. Congratulations to whomever's getting married. But anyway, thanks for making this work. And also thanks to Christina Buswell for doing all the production. I'm sure Sarah and Addie are somewhere 
they're gonna help out at some point but they're not here right now so they're not getting their last name shouted out so take that bye this is the dominique foxworth show